0: Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons Podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Prospect Sermons Podcast. Thank you so much, Kim and Scott. I always love to see our children leaving. That is such a, a beautiful sight to see, uh, the church of the day, but also the church of the future. And also I love to be encouraged. I hope you're encouraged by that church. That is an encouraging thing to see. And uh, we're delighted um, for them being here with us and excited of all the things that are happening in the life of Prospect Baptist. If you're a guest here with us, I want to say a word of welcome again to you. My name is Parker Smith. I'm the senior pastor here. Hopefully you filled out a little card. Leave it in your seat or you can turn it in. Uh, Either way it's fine. We would love to let you know that we're praying for you and uh, we'd love to follow up with you as accordingly. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn them on. Turn them to the book of Galatians, chapter number 2. We're going to continue on in our series uh, this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we're coming out of kind of a mini-series to the book of Galatians, looking at lessons uh, for a healthy church from a church that is in danger. And so, we spent the last couple of weeks unpacking verses 1 through 10. I would encourage you to listen to those messages. There's a lot of different things. Uh, that we covered, you can look at that on our website, also um, on our podcast as well. If you need any notes, by the way, all of that can be found on our church website. Uh, we have all the slides that are listed there for any sermon text or any cross references that we use. They're all listed there. And so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, verses 11 through 14. And so I want to start beginning by with maybe an illustration. Um, I said it to you before, but I love technology, and the thing I love about technology is that how Things can begin syncing together. I don't know if you utilize uh, these types of things, but I utilize things such as like Dropbox and those types of things. It can go to my phone, it can go to my iPad, it can also be on my computer as well. Uh, My wife and I share a Spotify account that it can go from my computer into uh, my phone and I'm going in the car. Maybe you like the connectivity of a GPS. Anybody still using old atlases when they travel around? I know that there's maybe a couple. Uh, Chris Abel's is one, but... um, Anyway, uh, most people they like to use a phone, uh, but sometimes what happens with that said phone is that sometimes you get out of range, and the cell tower is not working, and it begins to not sync up like it should. How many of that frustrates you to know in? Anybody? It does me too. I tell you, I had a scare one time with uh, I began to use iCloud for uh, transferring files and seeing different files on a Mac and those types of things, and so. Um, It scared me to death because I'd submitted a paper, uh, really my my doctoral project, uh, that I thought was in iCloud, uh, but did not ever make it there. And it did not sync up like I thought it did. And I tell you, when things don't work the way that they're supposed to, sometimes it can be frustrating. It can, especially when it comes to technology and the connectivity that is there. And as frustrating as it can be, When things don't sync up with technology, I want to tell you it's not just frustrating, it's dangerous when that is true about our lives. If our lives don't sync up with what we teach, what we preach, and what we profess, it's not just frustrating, it's potentially dangerous. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see the Apostle Peter being rebuked by the Apostle Paul for that very thing. He said, there is a way that you are to live and model your life. But Peter, you are out of step. You're out of sync with the true gospel. And folks, it's dangerous when that happens to us as well. We've got a lot to unpack this morning, but if you would stand out of honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter number 2, looking at verses 11 through 14. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. God, that Jesus would go before us in this text and that he would make a way as only he can, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. God, that you would help us by your spirit to hear your word preached. God, that you would speak through your servant this morning. How we need you, how I need you this morning to rightly interpret and imply text, how we need you this morning to rightly interpret and apply this text in our lives. And Lord, help us if we be only hearers of the word and not doers. So Father, have your way with us. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to call your attention to three things. I'll give them to you on the front end, unpack them as we go along. But I want to show you the problem that's at hand, the disharmony of hypocrisy and then lastly, I want to show you a way of true gospel living. And we'll unpack those as we go along. But first of which, the problem at it is that is at hand. Look at verse 12, and I'll begin to pull some of these strings. Paul is continuing to build his case for his apostolic office. He's described his conversion, his call, in the latter parts of chapter number 1. Then he moves to these four turns or sequences of events that take place that t- track us down this timeline or correspondence that he had with other church leaders. We tried our best to trace this timeline, concluding that the correspondence was taking place probably between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 11, corresponding with Paul's fame and relief to the churches and likely before... The Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. There's room for disagreement there, by the way. But the point still stands, nonetheless, that the apostle Paul says, I am a true apostle and now is going so far as to inform the Judaizers. Not only are we on an equal playing field with these other apostles, but moreover, I even confronted one of them, namely Peter, interestingly enough, over the very same issue that was at hand. Look at verse verse 12, I'll read verse eleven for context, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. for before certain men from James came, certain men from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He says this an so issue that's going on that before The men came from James. Peter was acting one way, but then he changed his course in corresponding with them. It has to do with the issue of table fellowship. Yet before we can get to table fellowship, he gives us a pretty good interpretive clue as the issue that's going on at hand. Namely... The idea of Antioch, or the city of Antioch. Antioch was a large city, one of the largest, in fact, of the Roman Empire, home to about a half a million people, and in many ways served as the capital of the east, or Rome to the east of the Syrian province. There was a large Jewish community that formed there, and it formed a great significant amount of the population of the city. If you read Acts chapter 11 through 14, we learn a lot about Antioch and the church at Antioch. We read that Christians likely fled there to escape persecution after Stephen's death. That Barnabas was, in fact, one of the key leaders within the church, as was the Apostle Paul. That the church was a very missional church that sent Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. And upon the return, ...of their missionary journey seems to be when this event was to take place. Paul arriving back to Antioch discovering that Peter's actions are faulty and he confronts them. It goes to show the issues at hand of Jews and Gentiles and law and gospel and justification... ...by faith alone in Christ alone was a hotbed in all the known world, so much so that leaders from every church in the area, and here it is again, sent their pastors to a local conference to discuss the issue that was pressing on all the churches in Acts chapter 15. There it is again, that Jerusalem council. And the Apostle Paul is recording all of this to show his authority of the office and also... The susceptibility for any person to shift away from the true gospel and by doing so, warning the Galatians of doing the same, sharing with them the dangers of legalism and the bondage that it brings. Antioch was a thriving place. It was filled with diversity of both Jews and Greeks. It was far from the north from Jerusalem and the Jewish temple. And it was filled with diverse peoples, civilizations, and cultures. And it was a really, really good place for Christian distinctiveness to shine in the midst of that diversity. And so much so that it could begin to emerge from the shadows of Judaism. This is why, beloved, when you read Acts 11, it was in Antioch where believers were first called Christians. It was a hotbed for gospel issues such as table fellowship. What is going on with table fellowship? We can't really understand this text until we understand the issue at hand. Probably the best way to illustrate this would be perhaps to take a trip to the good old days. Amen? All right, so we all practically now, we're, we're dining on the go. We're getting our food, eating inside of a restaurant in paper bags. Have you recognized that, by the way? We're dining on the go, going left and right, every which of way. And they're handing our food in paper sacks. But if you remember the good old days, and maybe even a day like today, you might not get your food in a paper sack. You might actually prepare a meal over the stove, and grandma or mama will cook something, and all the family right, comes together, And gets to have a meal together. And they share and they break bread. Maybe it's just family. Maybe we'll have some close friends over as well. And you'll partake, maybe today, unlike any other day, you'll partake together in a family meal. Hey, can you pass the cornbread? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Surely you know what I'm talking about. But beyond that, before a Jew would pass the kosher course around the table, it meant much, much more than that. There was much more at stake than just sharing a meal. It meant sharing a meal also meant sharing in the covenant together. It meant sharing in the covenant blessings. We are partakers together. We share bread, but we also share blessing. And we share a bond of the covenant together. We are God's people Because we do this around the table. This is why food laws were such a big deal in the Old Testament. The consumption of pork, food offered to idols, food in which blood had not been drained properly. Think of Daniel and his refusal to eat the king's meat. He would rather die than share and defy his Lord in this way. The Pharisees would even push even harder on this end that even dining and sharing a table with anyone outside the covenant of Israel was appalling. And they said of Jesus with a gasp, this man eats with sinners and tax collectors. And what Jesus was doing in a moment was sharing and telling the whole world That God's kingdom, the door to life, the door to the covenant of God, to belong a part of his family, has been opened to both Jews and Gentiles. Both sinners and tax collectors now are welcomed at the table. And Peter, before certain men, verse 12 of Galatians 2, before certain men came from James, he was doing the same. He was eating with the Gentiles and said, the kingdom of God has come to you. And you're accepted at God's table. At God's table, you are now in fellowship in him, with him. And it's not because of your food laws. It's because of your faith in Christ. It's because you've trusted in the obedience of Christ and your faith in him. Peter knew what was true. He knew his Lord. More than that, he had a vision that the Lord had given to him in Acts chapter 10. Flip over to Acts 10. What you see taking place in Acts chapter 10 is this vision that the Lord gives to Peter, showing to him that both Jews and Gentiles are welcomed into God's family. And it has to do with God declaring that which was unclean now clean or common is now clean. Peter receives this vision in Acts 12, all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds in the air. And there came a voice to him and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, verse 14, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and says, What God has made clean, do not call common. And he was led to meet a man by the name of Cornelius, who was a God-fearing non-Jewish centurion, who was invited in to share in fellowship with Peter. And looking down at Acts 10, verses 27 and 28, And he talked with him and went about and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with any other nation. Anyone from any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person or common un." Clean. Peter knew the truth of the gospel. It had been revealed to him. Fellowship with God's family was no longer on the basis of law or ritual, but through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the giving of his Holy Spirit, we are new creatures in Christ, sharing in the family of God together as children. That is the gospel message. You're accepted into God's family, not on the basis of law-keeping, but through faith in Christ and Christ alone, you are accepted as children. And apart from that, you have no acceptance in His family. We say things like this in our culture of, oh, well, we're all children of God. Well, we are someone's child, and God did certainly make us. He is our Creator But folks, you weren't just born a Christian. You weren't just born into God's family through your physical birth. Though the scripture says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were born dead in sin and you were a child not of God, though God created you. You were a child of wrath, Ephesians 2.3. And the only grounds of right standing before God to become his child was for you to believe in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. That's the only grounds of acceptance that you have, is faith in Christ and Christ alone. And Peter knew that. He knew it. Yet instead of displaying it through this issue of table fellowship, he compromised on the gospel instead. For when certain men... Before that, they came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, displaying the gospel. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Secondly, I want you to see the disharmony of Peter's hypocrisy. You see the problem. Now you see the disharmony of Peter's hypocrisy within the problem. Look at verses 12 through 14. For certain men, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their... Hypocrisy. Note hypocritically and hypocrisy. And then verse 14: But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, Peter, Paul says to Peter, note the tension within that text. Something isn't adding up. Here's the true gospel. Here's the true gospel, but then here's the hypocrisy in the way in which you are living. Is the gospel Too false, like your life is? Or is it displaying something that is true? Something is not in sync. There's a true gospel, but hypocrites. What is this? Is it truth or false? There's tension within that. Something, here's the word, something is not in sync. You claim to profess one thing, namely Jesus is the only grounds of acceptance, yet you live another only acceptance enough that you'll be willing to welcome others on that same grounds. Something is out of sync. And that's what happens with hypocrisy, does it not? Something doesn't match up. Something is falling apart somewhere. We like to think, well, it's really no big deal. But, beloved, compromise to the gospel and living out of step with the gospel is always a big deal. And it always causes something to be out of sync. And know what the hypocrisy does. Note it in the text. It brought disharmony. It brought a lack of having, having things being syncing up with God's word and God's will. Note the discord and the disharmony. It brought first. It brought disharmony with God's people. Look in verse eleven. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Folks, you'll be tempted to believe that your sin is just between you and God. But folks, I want to tell you, your sin will always destroy your fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it always affects your relationship with others. It did with Paul and Peter. It did with Adam and Eve and the whole created order. And it will for you as well. And beloved, if you have a hard time finding yourself living, you'll have a hard time finding yourself living in harmony with God's people if you're living a double life. This is what John said in 1 John chapter number 1, verses 5-8. through eight. He says, This is the message which you have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice darkness. The truth, but if we walk in the truth, as he or we walk in the light, as he is in the light, watch this: we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Folks, walking in the light of Christ and the truth of the gospel, walking by His Spirit, always comes with a harmony, and walking with others in the same. Spirit, There is a union that happens for the people of God walking in the spirit of Christ. And it will always bring disharmony and discord if you're walking in the ways of your flesh. That is true because the spirit and the flesh are always opposed to one another. Look at Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say walk by the spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And folks, sin and hypocrisy will always bring disharmony in your fellowship with God's people. It will always bring disharmony with your fellowship with God's people. But it will always bring disharmony in your fear. You will begin to fear man instead of fearing the Lord. Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter, who was once so bold to proclaim Christ, regardless of what it would cost him, seems to be slipping back to his old and former ways of life, cowering where he should have been, courageous, seeking to bring the praises of men rather than the Lord. Perhaps it was because of fearful things of what they may say or they may do, perhaps he's waffling on the side and thinking maybe James is up to something, trying to, trying to come about with some coup or something like that. But I mean, this was no ploy of James. James was lockstep with the truth of the gospel. These men came from James, but it is interesting in Acts chapter 15, they probably didn't come with any authority from James. Note what it says in Acts 15. It says, since we have heard that some people have gone out from us, so there's men coming from us, And have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So these men came from James, probably not with any authority. And maybe Peter is thinking James is up to something. But James was lockstep with the truth of the gospel. And we learn at the council that all of them were together. And perhaps Peter thought there might have been a threat that would come if he didn't compromise on them. That's that's possible if he didn't accept this. But note it, Peter was fearing man rather than he was fearing the Lord. He elevated the approval of man and by doing so, lessened God's approval. That's why Proverbs says this, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you put your trust in man and you fear man more than you fear the Lord, fear the Lord, there is a trap that is there. It's always a trap. Trusting in man's approval is always a trap. One theologian said it this way. He says, if God is pleased, then it doesn't matter who is displeased and if god is not pleased then it doesn't matter who is pleased we please god not man and peter fell victim to this elevating man and begins to look for their approval and by doing so begins to draw back begins to separate both of which are in the imperfect tense implying that it's probably this gradual shifting and sifting away little by little he compromised increasing in his ability to compromise. Until long, he was out of step with the gospel. Folks, you'll be tempted to do the same, to to have a distorted view of the fear of the Lord and elevate a fear of man that distorts your thinking about the truth of God and who he is. And what you'll do is you'll impose Man's theology and and man's ideas about who God is and you'll relate them to who God is about how he relates to you. And you'll look to man to find your approval, but there will be no approval there. Living in fear of you're going to be found out to be a fraud one day. Or what will this person think of me? Or what if they don't accept me? Or what if they ridicule me for doing this? What is going to happen instead of... Focusing your attention on Christ and trusting the Lord. And what happens is that man just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what you don't even realize is that God is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And if we're not careful, we will elevate the fear of man to the degree that it controls us and causes us to compromise for the truth of the gospel. The psalmist says this, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And so often when we're pursuing our sin, we're pursuing the very thing that keeps us from returning to the Lord is what someone would think of me. What someone would think if I were to repent and to come clean with all that I'm struggling with. To to, to get it out in the open, to just share with somebody, to confess or to say, I I need to repent. What so often hinders us from doing that is what some other man is going to think of us. But it continues to ensnare us. It continues to enslave us. That man or woman that you may be fearing and is controlling your response to God, I, I got news for you. Maybe this will sober us all up. One day, beloved, either you or him will both pass away, and you return to the dust. And you'll soon realize that there was all along a higher court that you would give an account to, and that you should never have been looking for your approval or status in them. This is what Isaiah says, all flesh is grass and its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are as as the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. For he knows our frame, Psalm 103. He remembers that we are but dust. For a man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes like the flower of the field. For wind passes over and it is gone. It is is placed to know no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. And so often we like to think when we're fearing man of what will God think of me? What's he going to say if I were to come clean? What's he going to say if I were to repent? I know this, beloved. He'll rejoice at your repentance. He'll rejoice for you coming back home. And no matter how far you've gotten down this road, the good news of the gospel is that there's always a road back home. And the road is repentance. That's why John says this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We displace our fear when we live in hypocrisy. But thirdly, we displace, there's disharmony in our way of life. The word for hypocrisy in this text and through the New Testament is the word hypocrisy. It means to pretend or to play acting. It's one that wears a mask to play a part. It ordinarily denotes the concealment of someone's true character. You're appearing to be something that you're really not. Yet for Peter, this really wasn't his true self. He's letting the fear of man getting the best of him. But you see the hypocrisy. Because note what is at stake. Verse 14, "...when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel." The gospel's at stake. The same gospel that Paul defended and preserved in Galatians 2.5 is being compromised now, not by Peter's words, but by Peter's actions. What about your life? Is there harmony? Is there consistency in the gospel that you preach and profess and the way that you live? There should be, beloved. This is why Peter would write in his epistle, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. This is why Peter would encourage us to live holy as God is holy. Therefore, we should be holy in all of our conduct. And if you call on Him who is Father, watch this connection. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father... The one who impartially judges according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourself with fear during your time of exile here on earth. Peter learned his lesson. Conduct yourself with fear. Not a fear of man, but a true fear of the Lord. Beloved, no one is perfect. No one is going to be sinless. No one is perfect and always in the right. But our lives ought to mimic the fellowship and the sweetness that we have with our Lord. Does yours? Or is there disharmony that ensues with your way of life? That is what hypocrisy does. But also, it brings about disharmony with others. Look at verses 13. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back, separating himself, fearing the circumcision party. Watch 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. There's not only disharmony that comes. There is also an element of you causing others to to stumble as Peter did as well. There is a connectedness within the body. And if we're not careful, it will spread to others. There is a connectedness that we have in the body of Christ that God intends that we follow Christ to model the very gospel that we proclaim and to flee from sin and to expose darkness of sin rather than to join in with it. And we... It's a warning for those that participate or that affirm sinful living, even within the body. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Sin is going to spread. It spreads to others. Do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians 15. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, but do not go on sinning. And sin will spread. It grows. It's deceitful. And it is bringing about. It's actively seeking to destroy. And it's invading and running counter to the very ways of Christ and His Spirit. And others will be affected by it. That's why in this text, all the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas, who introduced Paul to the Jerusalem believers... Barnabas, who had sought Paul in Tarsus and brought him along to be a ministry partner in the ministry with Antioch. Barnabas, who stood with Paul in Jerusalem to defend the liberty of the gospel against the false brothers. Barnabas, who accompanied Paul on their first missionary journey. Barnabas, even a faithful brother who was a leader within the church, began to act hypocritically following Peter's lead and it spread to the other Jews. And even Barnabas was led astray you see how this begins to spread? And while there is warning for us that we ought not do anything that causes our brothers to stumble. 1 Corinthians 8, Therefore if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. It's good to eat meat, not to eat meat, or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brothers to stumble. Romans 14, 21. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Temptations are sure to come, but woe to whom the one through and whom they come. It is better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and they were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble into sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Beloved, the point is this. We must be wise. We must be careful in us following Christ to consider our brothers and sisters in the way that we live so that we do not lead them to stumble in a way of false living. Lastly, there's disharmony that leads to legalism. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The word that he uses there, how can you force or compel, some translations might say, Gentiles to live like Jews? It's the same word that the Apostle Paul used in Galatians 2 of the false brothers. And that their posture... And their words were displaying and compelling others to live falsely. But even Titus, Galatians 2, 3, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And here's Peter doing the very same thing. Trying to force, trying to compel Gentiles to live like Jews. And I think if Peter would have responded to the Apostle Paul and said something like, What are you talking about? Compelling? What are you, I haven't said anything. And I think the Apostle Paul would have just said to Peter, Exactly. That's my point, Peter. Your, your actions are speaking much louder than your words could ever say. When you, Peter, when you, an apostle, you cut off fellowship with Gentiles and brothers and sisters because of their dietary laws, and you take Barnabas and all the other Jews with them, Gentiles believers cannot escape the oppression that you're giving them that they're not fully Christian unless they become Jews. That's compulsion, Peter. That's compelling them to live in legalism. Requiring that a person would do something in order to be a part of God's family. And that's out of sync with the gospel, Peter. It's not your words, it's your actions. And there's something within the human heart, beloved. Something within the human heart that is bent, that is driven toward legalism. And attempting to elevate the grounds of right standing before God to say, I did this. I brought this about. I mean, I've got to do something, right? I've got to do something. Here it is. Let me do something. No, Christian. That's not the gospel. And living that way is out of step with the gospel. So I do not nullify the grace of God, Galatians 2:21, as if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Beloved, find rest. Find rest in the truth of the gospel. Find rest in your greatest despair is this that you can't do anything. Nothing. And you You don't have any control in the matter. It's not up to you. Your greatest despair is that you can do nothing. And when you arrive at your greatest despair, you see the greatest hope is that it belongs to the Lord. And Jesus has done everything for you. And that salvation from beginning to end, folks, salvation is of the Lord. This is what Jesus was getting at when he says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It is by God's grace that we come to Jesus, that we come to the Lord by all God's grace and say, God, I'm coming to you empty handed. I have nothing that I can give and I'm coming to you not having any merit or right standing on my own. Will you accept me, God? And by the drawing of his spirit and the Father saying, come to Jesus, Jesus says, I will never cast any of them out. I won't do it. And you come to Jesus, rest assured that when you come to Christ, open-handed and say, God, save me, he will. He'll never cast you out. And you recognize the grace of God in that, that you could do nothing. And it was all grace. I tell you, that'll change the way you live, folks. And so much so, it gives us a solution. Point number three, for righteous living, quickly. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Coming down to verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like Gentiles and not like Jews, how can you force the Gentiles To live like Jews. Paul's posture and willingness to confront Peter wasn't one of pride or arrogance. It wasn't one of, look at me, I'm perfect. Instead, it was a grace-filled, confident humility in the Lord clinging to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would say, I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to confront the distortion and go against the grain for the sake of truth. But I won't be filled with so much pride or so much arrogance. For I'm the very least of the apostles. This isn't about who's better or me pretending to try to be without flaw. But it is about His grace. It is about the grace that He has displayed and He has given to me. It is about the transformation that I have experienced in the gospel. And it wasn't in vain. And I'm not going to cower in fear towards you or anyone else according to the flesh. Instead, I will stand in a confident humility in the Lord. And I will stand for the sake of the gospel. Folks, that is the world we live in today. To not boast up in pride or arrogance, but to humbly and confidently say, I will stand on the truth of God's word and I will not compromise. That's what we need in the world today. Christians who are willing not to be arrogant or prideful, but to say, the only hope that I have was Jesus. And his grace bestowed to me. And I will stand confidently in that grace. And I will find rest and I will not fear what man can do to me. And I will still live in the fear of the Lord and not compromise. So how do we make application? Did you find rest? Number one, you rest in the truth of the gospel and you do not fear what man can do to you. Number two, that you believe in the only true gospel and you do not play the hypocrite. Hold firm to your biblical convictions, Christian, even if it means suffering. And it will mean suffering, Christian. Mark it down. Number three, believe the only true gospel and do not nullify the grace of God. For you know, Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace that you have been saved and that through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not because of works, at least anyone should boast. Number four, resolve to anchor your life in the only true gospel revealed in God's word. Christian, you are not spiritually neutral. You're either going and becoming more like your idols or you're becoming more like your Lord. And every idol that you have, here's the progression. It says, come to me, come to me, pursue me, pursue me, serve me, serve me, and it will destroy you. And anything that you are putting before the Lord is an idol. And you need to put it away. And the only freedom that you'll ever find is the freedom that you'll find in the revealed Word of God and resting in His Word daily. Because the pursuit of your idols in the human heart is a daily pursuit. So you combat it with the daily pursuit of God in His Word. Your heart will go astray, yet the Word of God will align your heart and not just be hearers, but be doers as well. Lastly, Seek to position yourself so closely to other believers so to encourage one another and combat the lies of sin and the assaults of the devil. I'll read that again. Seek to position yourself so closely to other believers and to encourage one another to combat the lies of sin and the assaults from the devil. And commit to pray for your brothers and sisters and even your leaders because anyone is susceptible to be led astray. Peter and even Barnabas. This is war, Christian. Do you realize there is a war waging for your soul and the enemy hates you? He hates you. Hates you. And Peter says be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking anyone that he can devour so we must believe and cling to the only true gospel in a complete humility in a world that it will become increasingly hostile so that we live up with the truth of the gospel We must resolve now to be people of the word and people of the gospel. And we say, whatever man will do, they will do. But I will not fear them. I fear the Lord. And I place my trust and my confidence not in man who will pass away like the flowers of the field and the dust of the earth. But I will place my only confidence in the finished work of Jesus and cling to his cross. Because it is only by grace that I am saved. And the gracious life that I display to others is rooted in a humble, confident humility in what Christ has done. There is great security, great comfort, and great freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must believe this gospel, Christian. But we must also... Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand. But please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.